back to another episode of Leafs Talk Forever. This is episode, uh, I actually forget, I know it's uh, episode 40, I believe, all time. Uh, I think it's episode 19 of the season, season two. Uh, a couple of news and notes. Um, obviously, I'm here, Scott's here, Kyle's not able to be with us, so therefore I will be taking over the betting segment. I think on the super or the football predictions I had, I don't know if you kept track, Scott, but I think I went like um, one or two. I think I had one or two, right? I had the Bengals. Uh, I think I picked, said 49ers. Uh, yeah, the Bengals. Yeah, and then you picked the Giants for some reason. And I picked the Jaguars. And then you picked – did you? I thought you picked uh, – what was it? Kansas City they played? I think I said Kansas City would be the obvious choice, but for betting in general, Jaguars oh. would get you more money. Yeah, and then I know you picked the Giants, and yeah, I think you went two and four. I, I was wrong about Toronto on Saturday against Montreal. Yeah, which so, I mean could have went either way. And yeah. That overtime goal wasn't really much. So yeah, so basically. Um, I'm not very good at this, but this week for the bank segment, it will just be the football and the two Leafs games because Toronto is on a streak right now of every other day. They're off tonight. There is no hockey tonight for the first time, I think, in like five weeks since we came back for Christmas. I guess that wasn't five weeks ago. Um, And uh, uh, they play tomorrow instead of Saturday in a rare non-Saturday game. And I think the Sunday night is a matinee at 5 o'clock right smack dab in the middle of the conference finals or champ, whatever they call them in football um, in between those two games. So let's go with it. A quick new, a uh, quick note. I want to pass along. We had Justin Bourne on this podcast. I believe our first episode of season two, our first episode, I also think, or maybe the second or the last episode that we were by ourselves before we joined the hockey podcast network, which we're in partnership with. Um, yeah. He mentioned his book and all that kind of, interesting uh details of his life one thing that he did leave out that he later talked about on twitter was that he is a um i want to say he's still an alcoholic but he doesn't drink like he the way he talks about it is he'll always be an alcoholic he's been sober uh but he did struggle with alcoholism and i guess still does to this day uh even today on the podcast people were eating whiskey cookies and he was joking around about how he had to eat M&M nuts. Meanwhile, he truly didn't want to, but I guess that's just the way it goes when you're in, um, I don't know, recovering alcoholic. I think he's been like five plus years sober. You can figure that out in his book, but it is pre-sailed on, uh, the pre-sales are on now. You can go to his link in his bio. I'll probably end up tagging him in the tweet uh, or some way of tagging the way uh, the, the link for the website. And his book officially comes on on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. Check it out. I personally really like the guy. I talked to him probably once a month. Um, he was good to us. He came on the show when we were basically, I mean, we're still basically nothing, but he came on the show when we were legitimately nothing, like just starting out, barely had any followers on Twitter. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to buy that. I'm personally going to try and see if I can snag a copy. Probably the the audio book because I hate reading, but that's just me. Um, and then, Scott, got anything to add on any news and notes that you thought of in the last couple or since the last episode? 
Nope. All right. Well, we're moving on. Uh, discussions. We've got a handful of them. I'm going to send it over to Scott, and uh, we'll blast through a couple of these. Uh, just a quick mention here. I think there might still be a little bit of a delay. So uh, if that like there, the, seems like there's a pause between when I can hear you talking and then when you actually start talking. So I don't know if people get annoyed with that, but just for so first bit of news uh, last night against the Rangers uh, in the Timothy Lilligren goal, uh, William Nylander recorded his 400th point as a trauma, I believe. He is the eighth, eighth fastest player or Leaf to record 400 points in his career. Obviously, uh, I'm pretty sure Matthews and Marner um, are on that list ahead of him and now because they're at 500, obviously, and they've played less time than him. But uh, so, yeah, season of accomplishments yet again for the uh, with Matthews and Marner getting to 500, Tavares getting to uh, 500 goals, I think it was, and then Nylander getting yeah. to 400 points. Uh, much like last year with records and points and stuff. So hopefully uh, this year re- produces a bit of a different result by the end of the season so all these uh, records and, and, and career milestones don't go to waste. Uh, but yeah, so Nylander got to 400 last night uh, against the New York Rangers. Let me ask you a question. Uh, there is, I think, six players from that 2014 or 2015, whatever year he was drafted, a draft who have achieved 400 career points. Who do you think the number one draft or the number one, uh, or sorry, the person with the top points in that draft is? I don't know if you know that draft off by hand, off by heart, or um, I think the William Nylander. You can look it up if I you mean, can. Obviously, there's a list of names. It's not Nylander. <laughs> no, actually, Nylander is uh, oh, like seventh, uh, I believe. Is it 14 or 15? Uh, I think he was drafted. I think he was the year before McDavid, right? And that was Marner's draft. Yeah, I think he was fourteen. So, what's the question? Who has the most points? Oh, uh, Drysdale. Yeah, because he was the year before McDavid. Yeah, Pasternak was drafted in the second or third round. Braden Point was drafted seventy ninth in that pit in that draft. Wait, and he's got like four hundred and fifteen. Pardon me. I didn't know he was at. I didn't think he was at 400 yet. Who? Sorry, Braden Point. Oh well, listen to this one. Sam Reinhardt has like 411 points. Sam Reinhardt has more points than Will Nylander. Well, that shocks me. To, to be fair, though, because um, I remember that draft now. That was the Ekblad draft. Um, I think Nylander having 400 group points at this stage, as in the eighth pick in the first round, is more impressive than Sam Reinhardt, who went second, only having 400, just a little over 400 points. Who? Yeah, I know. Obviously but I mean, like, when you think of Sam Reinhardt, when you think of Sam Reinhardt, is he a first, like a first year player? Like, is he a William Nylander? Like, if he's on the team by himself, he's a star? No, that shocked me. I know he won second or third, whatever, but let's like, that still shocks me that he he only had or he has four hundred and twelve points. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like obviously he's developed into a player who isn't on the level of of a dry sidle or a superstar. But I think I still think that him having only four hundred and twelve when when uh, 
Price level's at what? Almost 600 or something? Uh, 689, I think. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, like, there's busts and there's players who are pick higher than what they should be, yada, 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 in the whole um, drafting process. But, like, I feel like he, based on what his stock was, what his potential was, I feel like at this point he should have a little more than 412. But if you then if you base it from the perspective of he didn't turn into that and pretty much first year everybody saw that or his first full year in the league, everybody saw that he wasn't really going to turn into that. I guess him having 412 points is, is a bit of a surprise because you don't necessarily view him as that top line. Um, he played for Buffalo. Superstar, carry a team type player. Yeah. And like the worst. Well, I mean, Buffalo's had some good players, though. They just haven't had any results. You will ask sure. Anyways, I just thought that was like, interesting was that with... eight players have at it. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, there's you can definitely tell there's a delay now, but uh, yeah, I was just gonna continue to reiterate on the like the players that he played with in Buffalo. Although they didn't have bad teams, top five players that eventually went on teams, but. Um, we'll transition now from one first-round draft pick from the Leafs to another first-round draft pick, Timothy Liljegren, or however uh, Gordon Miller says it. Uh, Liljegren. Yeah, and then he put, and then someone says Liljegren. Yeah, I know, but it's. Yeah, it's like, sh- do you see that Twitter battle? Yeah, and then he shared the, the pronunciation yeah. sheet that they give all the broadcasters of how to pronounce their names. Yeah, so he, um, well, I mean, obviously, I think he's probably Toronto's most reliable defenseman, which is funny because last year, that was TJ Brody for me. TJ Brody was two defense. Whatever defenseman, the pairing he was on, he made that other guy a little bit better besides Justin Hall. Now, Timothy Lilligren's doing the exact same thing. He's on a line with, besides Morgan Riley, he's on a line with Justin Hall. I don't know if Justin Hall's blunder. I mean, he would never be on a line with Justin Hall's ever because they're both right-handed, but if he is, Justin Hall seems a little bit better. Rasmus Sandin can play his game. Uh, Connor Timmins, Mark Giordano, he's that guy now. And I think Mark Giordano has had a lot of uh, um, impact on his career to change that because, as we know, or some of us know, or or most of us know, Lilligren and Sandin were very similar in styles of play when they first were drafted. They are both supposed to be offensive. Lilligren's taken that defensive uh, style where he's basically a penalty killer and a also sometimes a power play uh, on the power play unit, but he just seems like the guy that that Sean Key's putting down in all the tough moments against all the tough uh, players, like the opponent opposing players, and and I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even even with Brody still hurt, I think he's the most reliable but i guess of the of the ones playing i think uh Lilligrens took massive steps this year into a defenseman who the team can use in, in in a variety of situations um which again just proves that i guess from my perspective that they technically uh should have been playing him more or earlier than what they actually did as opposed to the typical uh, like sit him out, play him, sit him out, play him 
sent him down, whatever happened in the first couple years of his career. Yeah, wait for so then you can use his contract. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll just quickly transition into another defenseman here while we're talking about defense. Toronto's apparently looking to potentially resign Connor Timmins. Connor Timmins, Timothy Lilligren, Sandine, Riley Brody, obviously Muslim, but he's probably done for his career. Giordano, that's who's signed for next year if they sign Timothy Lilligren. Sorry, if they sign Connor Timmins. Do you think that's a value or a move that should happen or what? Uh, yeah, like I think in his time with the Leafs so far, he's been one of the most impressive defensemen that we've had. He's, I mean, he was first ten games didn't he have like ten points? Not that that overly matters for defense, but you think a player like Connor Timmins wouldn't necessarily be putting up points? He'd be more worried about defensive aspects of his game. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if that's our defense next year, this year we're proving. I mean, barring playoff results, because we haven't got to that point yet, uh, proving that this defense, as as constructed, can teams can help Toronto win games at certain points uh, throughout the season. So I think, yeah, re-sign them. If next year or even later this year, I think they should use them more as a full-time guy, maybe transition Jordy Ben to more of a come-in when needed, because I, I think Timmons is better than Ben. Ben... While good at their physical defensive stuff, I think Timmons is a better overall defenseman. So, if that's your six next year, and you we're set for another deep, or not a deep, but like another top end season. Hopefully, the playoffs can turn things around here. But it seems like this year, at least, like I said, the defense is showing that it can keep up, which people still. Going into the season, at least, we're considering a, a deficit that Toronto needs to look at. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd resign him. He's he got 12 Mete. points, I think, so far. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to keep him, but he, he could be another come-in-when-needed guy next year if, if, they, if they are planning on keeping him. I think he's his contract's up at the end of the year, so I don't know if, what their plans are with him, but yeah. Well, right now, obviously, Mete's on a long-term injury, but he's not forever going to be there, which will obviously hinder the at least for a little bit with his cap in. But... Well, yeah, but I meant, like, I don't know if they're planning on bringing him back. Like, he hasn't been that bad. Like, people didn't expect him to be uh, – not that he's played super well, but people didn't expect him to even be an NHL guy for the least. They thought they would just stick him to the minors and only use him as a last-case resort, which, I mean, again, you could argue maybe they did because Riley was on a one-point Brody was on a one-point. Muslim was hurt for the whole year. Uh, Sandine or Lilligren was on at one point. So I guess in that case, maybe he was a last-resort guy, but I still feel like if, if he wasn't still slotting into the lineup after one once in a while, even with the guys coming back from injury. So anyway... Yeah, I just think you you should be resign Timmons if you resign Mete. That's a plus because, which the point I was going to make a couple minutes ago. It's funny how every year that happens with the Leafs, where they 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 sign guys who came from other teams or were around the league and hyped as like good bumps. There's guys or good depth guys, and then 
Toronto brings them into play in their bottom six, and they're not good enough. Toronto's defense isn't good enough. But then the year goes by, and Toronto's defense, although not all the time, but mostly proves that they are good enough. And then it just makes everybody realize, like, just it's just weird how every year that that's a talking point going into the season, and then every year Toronto still finishes at the top of the standings with an above average or good defensive core, statistically or advanced analytically. And then they by the going into the playoffs, it's Toronto's defense may be good enough, and then we lose, and then. Beginning of the year again, it's this defensive core isn't good enough. Hello? Yeah? Uh, you, you just cut out there at the end. No. Well, after I said yada, 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 I, I, I was just done my point, so I stopped talking. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying yada, 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 as in you're going to say more. No, no. Sorry, I was but, just um, going to start talking in circles, so I just said yada, 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 so I didn't keep repeating. Gotcha. I apologize. Said. But I do think um, in, in this situation with, with Toronto's defense, if they can bring um, – it's tough because, like, they're probably going to have to go. I think I saw something that said that their ideal for the playoffs is supposed to be 21 defense, but they're probably going to have to go to 20 – uh, sorry, 21 defense, 21 players, and they're going to have to go to 20 players because they're cap. Do you see a situation where Toronto says, okay, our defense has been good, Justin Hall is relied on by the coach, whatever. Do you see a situation where they say, like, in past moments, um, Connor Timmons, uh, Jordy Ben, this person, this person, insert whoever's name, has shown that they can do it. Maybe we try and trade Justin Hall to create that cap space because right now, going into the deadline with all the players that they have, all the players that they have, all what, pardon me? I said I hope. Well, they only have 2.7 million. So what I'm saying is like, if, 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 if Mente comes back, he's probably going to go to the AHL. If uh, Carl Dahlstrom comes back, he's probably going to go to the AHL. But they still won't have enough, that, that money doesn't uh, count towards LTIR anymore. So they'll have probably less. Like two million. So if they want to pull off a deal, they're going to have to work something out. And my expectation would be they're after going to they're going to have to trade someone else. So like as you just stated, there's been times in the season where the defense players that we didn't think were going to step up stepped up. Do you see a situation where Toronto says that's enough proof for us? We have to trade someone. Uh, n- no, I I I mean I've been we've. Both have been clamoring for them to get rid of Hall the second he put on a Leafs jersey because we didn't like him as a player. We thought he was kind of overhyped a bit based on analytical aspects of the game that everybody said he was so good at. We didn't see it. And then slowly people started to say the same things we were saying, if not had already been saying the same things we were saying. Uh, But as of right now, if TJ Brody is back for the playoffs, then the main six defense are playing and Timmons is probably just going to be sitting uh, or in the minors. I don't see, a, at, especially with how Keith works, I don't see them getting rid of Hall to play Timmons or sitting Lilligren or Sandine. Maybe Sandine, but at this point I don't see them sitting either of those two guys for Timmons to play. So if Brody's back, then it'll just be Riley, Brody, Giordano, Lilligren, Sandine, Hall for the playoffs. I think anyways. 
Uh, I, I wish Timmons was on in that lineup, but I don't see them getting rid of Hall, even though I want them to. And with how Lilligren's playing, and even Sandine, who's playing better this year than, than past seasons, I feel like they'll just stick with that six, and, and Timmons can be the odd man out until next year. Or until an injury or someone starts playing bad in the playoffs, and then they'll switch if they make it out of the first round. Um, it also has been said that apparently you need eight. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say everyday NHL players or defense, but people say that you need at least eight reliable defense that you can call upon in the playoffs. This is the first year, I think, in a while Toronto's had that. Like, maybe last year you could argue, but I don't think they had eight. So, uh, who was last year? Who was the extra? Because I know we, we had the main six plus Giordano. And then, so who was the other? Because Dermot wasn't last year, was he? No. He Dermot got traded for Giordano's like, uh, roster spot. Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember who the other guy was. So, that I think right there just proves, from my point, or my perspective anyway, that this year's depth is better than than the past couple seasons of, of depth, especially with you having Ben and Timmons, who on most teams in the league, especially I think Timmons would be a bottom pair uh, consistently. So if Toronto needs him as the extra going into the playoffs, that's only a bonus. So I think, yeah, this year's depth on defense, you could even push that to nine if you want to include Mete. Ten if you want to include Hollowell but I don't think that they're really necessarily considering him edge already yet. Um, so yeah, well, I think the nine guys we have this year. Oh, is he? Yeah, he broke like, his right kneecap. Even... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's out. Um, so yeah, then just 12, those nine guys, weeks, I think. 12 weeks? Uh, so Who then, yeah, the nine just guys? those nine guys, I think. Well, the six we have, Timmins, Ben, and Metro. Yeah. Oh, that's not. I guess yeah, true. And then, and then also, um, well, it, that, that's barring if Brody comes back for the playoffs, which I'm assuming he will be. I don't see him being out for the next four months, so yeah, he'll be back next week. Yeah. So then, and then if you want to include Dahlstrom, I guess that's ten. But yeah, consistent, I guess, play wise, I'd, I'd say those nine are, are the best bet to be at some point playing, barring injuries and whatnot. Okay, so then we'll take that depth and we'll move it up front. So there's been reports on from Ellie Freeman today that uh, it is very unlikely, highly unlikely, almost near probably impossible that Alex Kerfoot's going to be moved because the management group values Sheldon Keefe's uh, opinion on things and Sheldon Keefe really likes Alex Kerfoot. I'm going to assume that he's gone after this year. So in my personal opinion, I you'd think that he would swap him for a player who has term who can do the same things Alex Kerfoot can but has a story for a different day so we have we have the um well that's that being said we have uh Bobby McMahon staying with the Leafs right now Pontus Holmberg called up and Sheldon Keefe saying that Toronto's bottom six uh, or bottom line or I guess bottom six technically is going to see a healthy uh, is going to see healthy competition over the next couple of weeks does this does this mean to you, like, do you think that this is just to see who's playoff ready, who's depth for the playoffs, who's this, who's that? Or or do you think that this could mean, like, 
could they could they push Zach Ash and Reese off the books or um, you know what I mean like if they get a chance to say get uh, I don't know let's just say Timo Meyer and they need to clear a million dollars well if they cleared Zach Ash and Reese off the books or Pierre Ingvall off the books like does that help the situation what do you think because I personally think that this is potentially seeing if they can replace Bobby McMahon or sorry Zach Ash and Reese or, or or Ingvall with Bobby McMahon and and potentially involve uh, whomever in the bottom six with Pontus Holmberg for the playoffs. I think that this could be just basically trying to see in terms of showcasing who they have, who's expendable. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I could definitely see them doing that. I, I don't necessarily think that that's what they're doing, especially in the case of like a McMahon or, or a, a Holmberg. But if, if they do add Timo Meyer, which I think it was Kevin Weeks reported today that he that New Jersey's now in the in the running for him, so I I don't think he's coming to Toronto. But if they get a player of that of that caliber who can play second or third line, depending on the role, the situation, whatever, uh, and they need to move an Austin Reese or an Engvall, then I would be all for that. I mean, I I prefer at at this point, I think I'd prefer Austin Reese stay over Engvall. I haven't really been too impressed with Engvall this year especially his first couple months and a bit, two months into the season where he didn't look like he cared. Um, but yeah, if, if you need to, to or you want to showcase the guys to show what you could be, teams could be getting in return or what you have as a potential trade candidate, I think then now would be the time to do it. Why not? I mean, the big four are pretty much always going to, come and like they're always going to show up they may not score every game but they at least take control of the game at certain times they they matthews with his defensive play this year i think has stepped up tremendously uh marner with his defensive play nylander with his speed whatever Tavares with his leadership ability his his uh i mean i guess he's he's kind of a two-way player too at some points so if, if you want to to dump some of the bottom six guys to bring in that other top nine potentially middle pair or middle lineup guy, I'd, I'd be all for that. And if you have to get rid of but, Engvall or Austin Reese or even a Kerfoot. What? Sorry. I was just going to say, but like, even if it's not Timo Meyer or if it's not uh, a bigger name player, Bo Horvat, this or the other, even if it's like an Ivan Barbashev or a, a Maxime Comtois or uh Noel Achari and they're saying, okay, Noel Achari can come in. Uh, he's a very defensive-minded player. He's like would instantly probably be, if not the best, the second best defensive-minded player on the team behind Camp, or maybe better than Camp. Um, okay, so that means Zach Ashton Reese makes eight hundred sixty-seven thousand. Pierre Ingvall makes two, whatever. So if we could re- replace what Ingvall is doing right now with Bobby McCann, that saves us this much money to bring in this player X. That's what I feel that they're doing, because there could be a, a world where both Ingvall. I mean, Kerfoot's already probably proven that he's not just based on what Elliot Freeman said, but like, like I'm not saying yarn croakers, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying like, in terms of players, I think that Toronto could be looking at adding players with more term that fit a role because they are going to be playing Tampa. They're probably going to have to get through Boston. I think this year, especially Toronto is going to be trying to, my personal opinion, is going to be trying to revamp how things work. They're going to be trying to get a little bit grittier in the bottom six. They're going to be trying to get a little bit more scoring and doing so together. Like a Nolichari, like a Zach Asher Reese would fit that role. Pure involved really doesn't. You know what I'm saying? But Bobby McMahon can. That's what I th- I think. Like, 
what what is your thought do you think that like if if there's a world where they got a nolachari and it costs them let's just say nolachari and player x and it costs them peering ball and and whatever would you do that knowing that nolachari is just there to basically be that like last bottom four player on their team i mean i i think it depends on what other player x would be so that's hypothetically, of course, let's say it's Achari and another player, and then you have to give up Engvall and Asar Reese. Achari pretty much replaces Asar Reese in terms of play style. I, I, I like I like Asar Reese. I think maybe he, this season, has a couple more points. I'm not 100% sure. You'd have to look that up. But like then you need to replace someone or add someone who maybe necessarily doesn't 100% replace Engvall's play style but can also fit like that fits into the lineup and, and plays that that shutdown cycle role as well as Engvall Engvall does when he's on the ice with camp and, and, uh, and Kerfoot or, or whoever else is out there with them at the time. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't just give up Engvall because you, you want to add more potential grittiness or bottom six. I feel like the return that you'd have to get, you'd have to be replacing or improving upon their their role or their position within the team. Okay, so let's say the trade is um, Ivan Barbashev and Nolachari and Toronto has to give up. Just just to say, peering ball, a draft pick, and let's just say Connor Timmins. I, I don't know, p- put whomever on the team right now who's a depth player. It could be Connor Timmins, it could be Victor Mete, whomever. Let's just say who, whatever depth player to get the deal done. Uh, this see that again, yeah. I guess this would be tough because it would depend on who else Toronto's getting rid of. Yeah. Like, okay. I, yeah, I, I see. Your I point. could see. Like I could see them adding Achari, and if the other player is Barbachev, to give up Engvall at a pick, and then like I wouldn't necessarily give up a defenseman, but if you wanted to add McMahon or or Aston Reese, or maybe even, but it's a massive stretch, Pontus Holmberg, I could see them potentially doing that because you're getting two bomb six guys who can also play that style, who can fit into those roles of the players you're getting rid of. But I, I don't see them just trading. Like, like, that would be based on the return. Like If you, if you have to give yeah. up Engvall and Aston Reese, then you, you, I feel you would need to get a player back who can replace both of their contributions to the team and Austin Reese in that kind of gritty digger produce when you, when you can kind of roll and then Engvall in his cycle shutdown, uh, keep them helmed in their own end style role. And if Barbashev and Achari are those guys, then I would say do that. But I, I feel like, yeah, just the return of who you're getting back would, would be the issue, not necessarily who you're getting rid of in the bottom six. Okay, so I've got a better trade proposal that I've seen going around. I'm going to insert the players that I feel. A lot of people are saying specifically these two players, but we'll see. So apparently Toronto has a lot a lot of interest in, uh, in J- uh, Jake, um, Jake McCabe. Sorry. So Jake McCabe apparently allegedly doesn't want to play in Canada, but if by chance he does, he makes like $4 million. We get Chicago to retain half. So then... 
Toronto's looking at the deal and they're thinking last year, this year, whatever. So let's say that they also add back in Colin Blackwell, who signed for like 1.5 million for this year and next. So McCabe and Blackwell come to Toronto and the deal requires Toronto to give up Pierre Engvall. A lot of people are saying you should throw Justin Hall in this deal and then uh, next uh, additional picks or you have cap space. But let's just say Pierre Engvall, Connor, Connor Timmons, and a pick to retain half of that salary. Would you do that deal because you're getting a right-handed or left-handed? Whatever. I think uh, Jake McCabe's left-handed who plays right side, like TJ Brody, but who plays physical, apparently a good locker room guy, and um, I think he can play both penalty kill and power play. So would you do that deal? Or would you say no because why are we getting rid of Connor Timmons? Why are we getting rid of Pierre Ball? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, but yeah, like I, 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 I want them to keep Timmons. I like him. But if you're getting McCabe, like, so you said Engvall and Timmons in a pick? Yeah, let's just say it's like a next year's third round or fourth round pick just for retaining half the salary. So, and then you're getting McCabe and Blackwell. I, I would say, I, I would say yes. But, I mean, again, there's there's like a, an issue because then you also who are you taking out for Jake McCabe because they're not sitting Justin Hall, so that means that Sandine doesn't play in the playoffs. But like the Engvall thing, yeah, I, I mean, I know I just said that you have to replace find someone who can replace him. I think maybe Blackwell is maybe not as fast, but I think he can fill that role in the the shutdown cycle or whatever. But I feel like in that case, then like you're just kind of you, you're adding another defenseman, but you also then have to take someone out. And that yeah, makes true. the odd man out then would be Sandine, which I feel like most people would just be like, yeah, play McCabe because he's an established everyday, potentially even second line guy or second pairing guy. Maybe even on Toronto, uh, he could move up and play with Riley depending on the situation. Um, but then, yeah, that kind of, to me, that makes it, I mean, Sandine has to sit out then, which, if it helps us win, I think doesn't really bother me that much. I like Sandine, but yeah, I think I would. Yeah, do that he'd trade. request a trade. Yeah, but at this point, I feel like he's probably just going to leave anyway when his contract's up. I feel like he, both him and Toronto, have come to. I mean, maybe not a mutual realization, but at some point, the fans, the player, and maybe even the organization have realized that he's not going to be what he thought he was going to be in Toronto or what everybody thought he was going to be in Toronto based on a multitude of factors that have happened in, in, in the organization. So I feel like even if I feel like he's gone either way. So I, I, I would do that trade. See, I don't, I don't feel come in who can play on any, any pairing. And then you have Blackwell who was a fan favorite last year uh, can come back in and fill that role. Again, he's not as fast as Angle, but I think he could still fill that them hemmed in cycle the puck around with camp and and kerfoot or mcmahon or austin reese or whoever else is on the ice at the time and personally i'm going to say this live on this podcast i think toronto should be trading justin hall away take that salary trade peering ball take that salary Trade Peering Ball to Buffalo for Ilya Labushkin because who was a better penalty killer last year, Justin Hall or Ilya Labushkin? Ilya Labushkin. We need a player like Ilya Labushkin on the back end. Jake Muzzin was there. We had Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben's not a regular NHL player. I don't think he's going to be playing seven games in a playoff series. Ilya Labushkin can. He can take Justin Hall's spot. Trade Justin Hall to freaking Chicago, Columbus, Minnesota, wherever you want to trade him. 
get him gone. Excuse me, and keep. You should have kept Yuli Labushkin. He signed for two and a half million dollars for like three years. That's still Colin Blackwell makes me mad because I liked Colin Blackwell before he came to Toronto. Obviously, as you mentioned, he was a fan favorite. But Ilya Lapushkin was someone that I don't understand why we let walk away. Well, I mean, I and agree. Buffalo is going to be in this I, spot I, next year where they're ready to compete. So any last little bits of players that they can get, like apparently Buffalo is not on Timo Meyer. If you put uh, Peering Ball on a line with Tage Thompson or Casey Milstadt, he might get a little bit more, point, uh, a little bit more production of him than what he gets in Toronto. But I still don't understand. Why well, they got rid yeah. of Yuli Lubushkin. I, I agree. I, I from from my perspective or your perspective or whatever, I feel like they should have kept Lubushkin over Justin Hall. Um, but from their perspective, and um, for some reason, obviously they probably know more than we do, in in some senses of the game, uh, they they think Justin Hall was better. So getting Lubushkin was, was the right move because then they could keep Justin Hall. Yeah, but technically you could have had them both, realistically. Like, if you really looked at how the defense was lined up, you you could have traded, say, a Jake Muzzin or even, not that I want them to, but even a TJ Brody and, and got rid of that salary. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they actually could have made Ilya Labushkin work in their uh, system. If you're getting rid of TJ Brody to keep Ilya Labushkin, that's a dumb No, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that that's the only thing that you need to do, but, I mean, te- technically, with cap, like, that's the reason why they signed... Uh, Timothy Lilligren for two years. Same as Sandy. So when Jake Muzz and TJ Brody come off the books, they're gone. So I don't understand what, like, I'm not saying I like TJ Brody. He's one of my favorite defensemen on the team. I just think personally, Ilya Labushkin was someone that Toronto needs on the back end. And and Toronto's proven this year that they can play without TJ Brody. And I'm not yeah, saying they've that also it, proven this year that they can play with a defense like, or without a defense like Labushkin. Yeah, but who who? Why wouldn't you want a player like Labushkin on your team? Like two and a half million. Uh, I'm not saying I don't. I'm saying like I, I I would have preferred him on the team, but like who are you getting rid of? I don't I don't see them dumping. Like at the time, to clear cap, they would. I don't think they wouldn't have traded Brody. They wouldn't have traded Muzzin. They wouldn't have traded Riley. Sandine and Lilligan were getting re-signed and. They're not. They're probably not getting rid of Justin Hall anytime soon, so there there was no well, way. They are probably at the end this year. They're gonna have to. Why? Well, because what are you gonna sign him for? Well, I mean, yeah, You're not well, for more than two from that perspective, but who? But who says they won't? Like, are you saying that you you think that they might? Well, all all evidence points to them wanting to keep him. So I feel like if if they can convince him to take a little bit less than what 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 is projected of him signing for, I feel like they're going to keep him. They're going to try everything they can to keep him. From like all evidence points to that. Otherwise, they would have got rid of him when they had the chance. Yeah, but I mean, two years ago when the expansion draft happened, his his defensive like analytical numbers showed that he was better. There's, I, I really, if Toronto signs Justin Hall back, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, Kyle Dubas should be coming back as GM. I don't like, I, I, I don't, I think I, I don't like him. I agree, but 
I don't. I just I have the feeling that they're going to try to do everything they can to keep him. And if that ha- and, and includes maybe even dumping a forward, not the Matthews level forwards, but like a uh, like a Engvall to clear a little bit more cap room, I could see them doing that to keep him because for some reason they're in love with the guy and, and they want him in the lineup. Although, yeah, I just feel like next year there's going to be a team that's going to offer him three and a half million dollars, and then Toronto's going to be like, "Yeah, we can't compete with that because why would we? See you later." And then regret yeah. every second of not re-signing Ilya Labushkin. That, oh my god, <laughs> that's the that, truth though. That, like Ajaganov, remember when he played on the Leafs? Remember uh, Andres Borgman? Remember when he played on the Leafs? Callie Rosen, all they wanted was a guy like Ilya Labushkin. And then you got him for literally Nick Ritchie. And you let him walk. Like, what? Okay, but... Like, like I like Lubushkin, but like they're proving this year that they could win without... I mean, yeah, again, proved, playoffs may be a different before they got him. story. But... But they, not really, though, because they had Muzzin. Yeah, but the, I mean, the team still proved that they could they could play without... I, I, I mean, even if you had Jake Muzzin, I still would want Lubushkin on the team. He's just that guy for me. Like he's the only yeah. guy I know in the I mean, world. I don't know <laughs> that crushes a guy at the blue line and then turtles. That's the type <laughs> of guy we need. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like I liked him, maybe not as much as you, apparently. But okay, here's what we're gonna do. Every I, HL twenty three franchise I, could... I have, I'm gonna save. Every time you play, go in there to my to my uh, file and see who's my defense. It's just going to be six Ilya Labushkins. Oh, yeah. This is just like when we used to play NHL 99, and you would make every player on the Toronto Maple Leafs 99 overall because they had to be 99s. They were on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, I got a mad love for Toronto Maple Leafs, but I also have a mad love for Ilya Labushkin. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm, the guy I'm was saying that I wouldn't. This year in Buffalo. Hey, you should have traded hey, for I, him. But then that just proves we don't need him. <laughs> 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 I'm not saying I don't want him. I'm just saying the way the team was structured, it makes sense that he was the odd man out. In our eyes, it should have been Justin Hall, but from their perspective, it was Labushkin. I would take Martin Marinson over Justin Hall. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I would. Justin Hall is just everything about the guy. He hosts Leafs to Leaf. Like, yeah, I'm just okay. trying to watch this video on Leafs, and but, this guy's just running his mouth. It's like, where's the other Labushkin? At least there's been I moments this under- season. At least moments this season, Justin Hall has stepped up his defensive play and 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 made plays when it mattered. I can't even remember one play Martin Marinson ever made besides fanning on a slap shot, and then it it coming out of his own. Allow me, my brother. I remember one time off a faceoff, or when uh, he skated uh, around Martin the net Marinson on Washington, dumped the puck into the opposite end, beat all his motherfucking teammates and the opposition. And roofed it top shelf on the goalie. So and Justin um, Hall tries to do that every game, <laughs> and he doesn't succeed. He tried to do that with Austin Matthews the other day, and it actually worked. But Martin Marinson was both people on that play. Okay, I'm not. I don't like Martin Marinson. I just for some reason every time that there's an offensive that Toronto lets walk or a player that Toronto lets walk, I just always think it's Justin Hall's fault. Jared McCann. This guy's got fifty points. <laughs> I mean, Justin that could also be Hall doesn't even have a career five NHL points. Like, the guy just irks me. 
And I don't even care when he's on the ice. Like, he makes the worst mistakes, but it's just whenever I think of a player that walks. The the Jared McCann thing is always funny to me. Because people are like, oh, Leafs, you got rid of a good player. He he would have had this X number of points, X number of goals. Failing to realize that if he would have stayed in Toronto, him getting those points wouldn't have happened. So he might not have turned into a 50-point player. Yeah, what's that called? Retrospect uh, scouting? I think that's what people call it. Like, just like, like when you're looking at, like, say, for example, why why Braden Point goes 79th in the in the draft because he's got 400 and this many points in three Stanley Cups, and people are like, it's easy to think of that after it happens. You know what I mean? Like, truthfully, you're yeah. right. Jeremy McCann would have been just an Alex Kerfoot on the Leafs. I mean, he may have put up 30, maybe 40, but I don't see him being the player he was on Seattle if he would have stayed on the Leafs just because of the, the systems are different. Uh, there was no Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner level players as of yet on Seattle, so he he had those chances to to become that that point producing player. If he would have stayed on Toronto, I, I don't see him getting fifty points. Or however, I see Ilya Labushkin getting thirty points. Okay, he was on the lease for almost a whole year. <laughs> okay, my point is exactly the truth. They should have resigned him. Anyways, we got to get to an ad read. Um, so, uh, here's a word from our show sponsors, write down the promo code THPN and win some moolah. We'll be back. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Again, I'll be taking the Cincinnati Bengals over the KC Chiefs. Why wouldn't you? Joe Burrow's a beast. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. New customers can bet just $5 on the conference championships and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. Welcome back to Labushkin Talk Forever. Um, (laughs) This is uh, the only way we rule. Not to be honest with you. We'll move on from this topic in two seconds, but I think the thing that just pisses me off is every time I look at a player who we got rid of, I just, for some reason, as I mentioned before, I always think it's Justin Ellis' fault. It's like, if we would have traded this plug, we could have kept that guy. So that's it. That's my rant. Yeah. Anyway, Scott, you want to talk about line combinations, then we'll talk about Morgan Riley. Uh, we um, already talked about You want to do the, um, the betting first? Yes, we will. Uh, I'm not going to do the deep thinking music. We'll just hit it off really quick. I actually didn't think I forgot that we were doing this. So just give me two seconds to pull up the app. I know that, that I'm just doing the Toronto Maple Leafs against Ottawa Senators game tomorrow. I would be picking the Toronto Maple Leafs in that game. Who wouldn't? I mean, they're a beast. The expectation is Matt Murray plays. Um, Toronto was minus uh, 245. Ottawa is plus 205. So if you want to win some plus money, um, Obviously, but that's ridiculous. Uh, obviously, the the Toronto Washington game on Sunday, the betting hasn't been released yet. So, 
I'm not sure the the stat lines, but because it's a weekend game, I would bet obviously Toronto on that one. I think the expectation of Samsonov supposed to start in that one. Uh, and then this week's playoff for football, we've got the uh, I want to say the NFC uh, San Francisco Philly game. Uh, that is a 3 p.m. start on Sunday. San Francisco's plus 125. I think that they're going to pull off the victory. So my pick is the San Francisco um, 49ers. I almost call them the San Francisco Giants for some reason. Uh, they are, again, plus 125. But I do think that they're going to pull off the the, uh, the win. Also, the over-under is 46.5 points. Um, and then we've got the AFC Cincinnati Chiefs, like Cincinnati versus the Chiefs. Uh, that's a that's a 6:30 start. I'm taking the uh, the the Cincinnati Bengals for some reason. I'm in love with Joe Burrow. Uh, so him, Ilya Labushkin, and Nathan Matthews are are the loves of my life. So I'm gonna take them and a negative or a minus 105. Chiefs are minus 115. I don't know why Added people would the... even be staying, Casey. Pardon me. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Added to the fact that. Cincinnati beat them last year in the playoffs. And, and Patrick Mahomes I'm pretty sure, has a high ankle sprain. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Mahomes is 0-3 against Cincinnati in his career. Yeah, in the Joe, playoffs Joe, Joe Football, that's what they call him. Joe Football's got uh, no. Patrick and Jackson Mahomes' uh, uh, um, number. Uh, the, the over-under for points is 48 points. You can take that if you want, but I would personally think that you're going to be taking a uh, um, a chase, uh, probably whatever the over is in passing yards, because we all know that Burrow and Chase like to throw to each, or he likes to throw to Chase. And uh, yeah, I One would two. probably. Pardon me. His record is one and two against the Bengals. One and two. Um. Yeah, I would, and and I would also, if you're doing a same game parlay on this one, I would also take the Joe Burrow, uh, the over one and a half touching, uh, touching, um, passing touchdowns, and also over 277 passing yards, uh, and then the uh, the player props for, um, there's a whole bunch of them on there. Obviously, it's it's DraftKings. They're obviously one of the best draft or uh, sports betting apps. So go take a look. All I'm saying is can't. No, not Kansas City. Cincinnati Bengals are winning the uh, the Super Bowl. Put it on it. Put on the bet right now. Anyways, that's all. That's all for the bank segment. It was the worst bank segment ever, but uh, Kyle's not here to take it in. He's more, more versed in the betting uh, <laughs> betting segment than uh, than we are. So, anyways, not always right. Okay. Nah, he's actually probably got a worse percentage than I do, but he knows a little bit more, and he's <laughs> more smooth with it. Uh, anyways, we will catch up with you next week to talk about my perfect record of going 4-0. That's Toronto beating Ottawa, Toronto beating Washington, Cincinnati beating KC, and the 49ers sticking it to the Eagles. Screw you, Kevin R. Anyways, line combination, Scott, we're coming to you. This is your whole segment, so you better do it right. Hello, sir. Are you there? Oh, yeah. Sorry. You, you cut out there when you, you were chanting uh, something about something at the end. 
after you said uh, I oh, I said, the Eagles, I you, said you, screw you my Kevin Hart. Oh, why? Well, Kevin Hart's like a big Eagles fan. Remember when they won the Super Bowl a couple years back and he fell on the stage because he was drunk? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So screw you, Kevin Hart. You're up to my hip. I'll whoop your ass. Over to you for the land combination, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this isn't really that big of a, a topic. We don't really have to go that much in depth on it. I just... It was brought up in the, by the commentators in the last, on the Canadian broadcast in the last Leafs game um, because for a large chunk of the year, Marner was with Tavares and Matthews was with Nylander. Then starting in the Islanders game, they switched it, put Marner back with Matthew, Marner back with Matthews and Nylander back with Tavares. And then at some point throughout the game when uh, against the Rangers when Toronto wasn't playing the best, the commentators brought the is Shelton Keith going to switch Marner and Nylander again, put Nylander back with Matthews and Marner back with Tavares? And I thought that it was funny because it hadn't even been really one full game or two full games uh, of this combination going back together. Uh, so I just wanted to get your opinion on, on that. If you, you think who you think is the, which pairing is better in your eyes and, and why people are so obsessed with Sheldon Keith switching the line combinations mid game when Toronto was going through a five-minute stretch of bad play? Uh, one, because uh, Toronto's the well, the hockey mecca of the world, so they'll pretty much talk about anything. But in terms of line combinations, I would say Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, uh, but I have to say the Nylander-Matthews-Marner-Tavares uh, combinations work better. Uh, I think that allows Austin Matthews. I know scoring goals is the key to the win, uh, the key to the game. You got to win, this, or you got to score goals to win. I get it, but with William Nealer on there, it allows Austin Matthews to play a more two-way game. And with Marner and Tavares, Marner pretty much can get anyone going, but it allows John Tavares to continue this pace as almost a point per game leaf, or almost over a point per game leaf. And I think that adds more stability down the lineup going into the playoffs and going into a Tampa Bay round. Because essentially last year, Nylander was going. Tavares was almost non-existent, I think, for bulk of the stretch. Matthews and Marner got – once you get shut down those two, you're basically relying on Tavares and Nylander. And if Tavares gets shut down, that's Nylander, and he always performs in the playoffs. So I think that if you have him and Matthews and Nylander or Marner and Tavares, it adds a different outlook on the lineup, spreading out the, the, the scoring depth, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what your take is, but uh, that's all she wrote for me. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I like Nylander with Matthews and Marner with Tavares more. But I will say I did notice that when Matt, like kind of what you said, when Matthews is with Nylander, he's more not necessarily pass-oriented, but he's looking for Nylander more than I think he would look for Marner, and his defensive play steps up. Whereas with when he's with Marner, it seems like he's scoring more because Marner's the one who can throw the puck and just gets it to him. Matthews just needs to create the space to get open. So I think it's a funny combination of, of when he's with a certain player, he he focuses more on certain aspects of his game. But I do like him better as a player when he's playing with Nylander as opposed to playing with Marner. Because I think he'll still score 50, 40 to 50 goals with, with Nylander. Um. So I, I I like him better with with Nylander than uh, with Marner. 
Um, I think it also allows for Tavares to score more goals because Tavares was always looking for Nylander. Uh, if Matthews is looking for Nylander, Nylander, I think it's like what I told you the other day, 65% or 85% of the time that he's on the power play, he's like 85% of the time looking to pass to Austin Matthews. So if Austin Matthews isn't trying to hit Nylander, Nylander is trying to hit Matthews, and that is uh, good for both of them because if you this is the this is the issue that I take with how people are treating Austin Matthews. If he drops down from sixty goals to forty five goals, and Nylander can go from thirty eight to let's just say he gets to fifty, uh, you're basically balancing out. So I personally think that it's best to keep those lineups the same. Also, if they can't find a six forward there on the Tavares um, Marner line, I think Yarn Croak is a good um, mainstay there. Uh, we're going to wrap this up soon. We've got a couple more points to talk on. So let me hit you with the hardest question this, uh, this podcast. Is Morgan Riley actually a number one defenseman? What do you think? So just, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick that we were supposed to talk about this last podcast, but the Provorov thing kind of went over what we wanted to in terms of time. So we kind of cut it down and said we talk about it next week uh, or this episode. Uh, but since that last podcast, I've seen TikTok videos and like clips of, of other reporters and stuff talking about the situation that's going on with Morgan Riley. So I just think it's funny that we probably, like, maybe not the first ones, but we would have been on the kind of preface, the early stages of that conversation if we would have talked about it last week. Because I've seen, like, probably 10, 11 people, like, TikTok accounts, and then another, like, eight or nine of clips of, like, reporters or other podcast people talking about uh, Morgan Riley. With that said, I don't think Morgan Riley is a true number one. Oh my gosh! Uh, I feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know blasphemy, right? Um, I feel like he he had the potential to be one, but I feel like since that Norris Candid Trophy season, whatever that was, four years ago, I think, yeah, three years ago, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I he hasn't I, he hasn't been the same. It just seems like he at times is out of place, at times is out of sorts, at times is confused. Uh, it just seems like that that season. I don't know if it went to his head or or it just kind of messed up his confidence because now he feels like he has to always perform at that level. It, which obviously that's a given. You should try to be performing at that level all the time if you want to be the best defenseman in the league. Uh, but yeah, since that season, it just he hasn't. I've known from my perspective anyway. He hasn't really seemed like he's the the same player. Uh, and because of that, I feel like he's more of a top pairing to compliment the top guy, not necessarily a top guy on defense. He's not an Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, Drew Doughty. He's more of a insert support defenseman here who played top pairings with those Hall of, or not Hall of Fame, or I guess in the case of Drew Doughty Hall of Fame, but all-star, Norris candidate, constantly uh, caliber defenseman. Um, I am incredibly shocked that you said that. Well, you agreed with me when I said that last name in the game. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much not liked Morgan Riley for, I, I don't remember the last time I liked Morgan Riley, to be honest with you. Uh, I think another reason why I don't like Morgan Riley is because I really, really like Rasmus Sandin, because he reminds me of Thomas Caberlet. 
And we all know yep. that Oz, or Thomas Carvalho is the number one person in my, uh, well, my. Wait, what about Labouche? Love for people. So, if you, I'm telling you right now, if you gave me Thomas Carvalho and Ilya Labushkin on one power or on one unit, <laughs> I feel like I'd probably just, I would probably run across the ice naked. I'd be like Thomas Carvalho playing with Wade Bielak. Okay, who wouldn't like that? Also, uh, Ilya Labushkin is like pretty much Drew Doughty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was cripple on the ice. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Ilya Labushkin you said you said that. I'm gonna say, "Hey, bear, go after my brother," and he'll be like, "Gula." Yeah. And then he's gonna be like, "Who are you? I've never talked to you in my." <laughs> I'm like, I took the QEW all the way down here to see you. I don't even have a passport. Anyway, so here's the sitch. I don't like Morgan Riley. I don't think that he's worth the money that they gave him. And I think that he would benefit from playing with a guy like John Klinberg, who's actually a power play specialist. Not this six shots in 100 minutes of power play time, but like 25 shot attempts. You suck! Or looking off, looking off, arguably the best goal scorer in the league to shoot it on net. Yeah. Me. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, we're talking about Will Nylander and Austin Matthews. And he's turning them both down. Also, analytically speaking, the shot from the point is pretty much useless. That's why we don't see it anymore. But let me tell you something. Having a good shot from the point threat will keep the power play or penalty kill play, uh, keep the penalty kill on their toes. Guess who the penalty kill, penalty kill has to guard for a good shot from basically the half wall? Austin Matthews. That's my point. Get him off the power play. Put Giordano on the power play. Giordano shoots like 90% of the time. Yeah, and... Just shoot the puck. Get up next. Although, I, I don't know... Actually, don't. Just put someone else on who will pass the puck because we need Austin Matthews shooting. Yeah. I, I don't know the statistics on this, or even if this is true, but it seems like when Riley's on the power play, it doesn't do as well. And when he was injured there, it seemed like the power play was doing way better whether it was Bunting or Sandine or whoever was filling in that role because they shuffled a couple of players around there. But, and again, that could be totally wrong because I think their power play percentage on the year is like 24% or something. But it just feels like it was way better when Riley was injured as opposed to when he was actually in the lineup. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, I heard that it's, I heard this and I think it's true. Apparently Nick Kipper said that the reason why um, they had to put him back on the power plays because he he told the coaches that he makes basically the big bucks and he deserves to be on it, so they put him on it. Um, yeah, he's. If, if, if I was ever a GM and a player came up and told me that, I'd probably trade him the next day. Oh, I know someone you wouldn't trade. Who? Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky would never say that. <laughs> like, oh, you just uh, in love I mean, with Wayne Gretzky? I don't know the guy, but from I mean stories I've heard and stuff, he didn't have an ego that was that big on the level of. Saying, oh yeah, he's not Luke Robitaille. Actually, yes, I he did. Be. Luke Robitaille told the story. Is it true though? I don't I mean, know, the but Kipper's he's the story a lie too. But yeah, that's true. Here's the story, though, from Luke Robitaille. The story goes as this. Uh, Wayne Gretzky used to stay on the other side of the ice 
not by the bench. So when they called for a line change, he pretended that he didn't hear someone. So then he could sit on the ice little power play. So yeah, pretty much. But who wouldn't want? That's not uh, even the same there. thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much is. But who wouldn't want? Wayne not Gretzky going for a line play. change so they could sub on Esatikin and then Craig Simpson. It's not the same no, as saying a, it was in L.A. So the substitution would have been Luke Robitaille. Okay, same thing. Like, I'd rather have Gretzky yeah. on than Robitaille. Who would? But when Morgan Riley, who's on a power play with Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner, says, I need to be out there because you pay me to be the best player on this team, that's ridiculous. Well, here's the sitch. I don't like Morgan Riley. That's it. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, so we'll move on to this last thing that I want to talk about. Uh and then we'll touch on one other quick thing, and we'll wrap it up. So goaltending, Samsonov obviously looks to be getting the start. Uh, sorry, the consistent starts. He's been, what, four in a row now? Four and a half in a row. Uh, probably going to get the day off tomorrow against Ottawa because Ottawa sucks. Probably will back, uh, see him back in his, uh, in his crease against the former team, Washington Capitals, because they also suck, but we need Samsonov to continue his hot streak. Here's a couple stats that I think are important. One, Keith had mentioned that he trusts Curtis Sanford, who says Samsonov is almost is so accurate when he's uh, about a, in in terms of his positioning that even when the puck is going um, like off the post, off like not a shot on goal around the net, whatever, he is almost like almost a hundred percent of the time in perfect position. And this has to do with something to do with like the ability to lock your eyes and not not move your eyes and move your head. So the 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 eyes lock on the puck, and he's moving his head. This also allows his head to move over top of his left pad or right pad to get him in position to make those saves that we've been seeing him do. That is um, courtesy of Steve Valaket, former NHL goaltender, current uh, goalie coach, and. Well, he does a whole bunch of different things, but he had said that it's called like swivel eyes. So you lock your eyes on the, on the object and you're moving your head or sorry, swivel head, sorry. And uh, you're moving your head. So basically when you're going across, you're putting your head over top of your left pad, which allows your body to move with it rather than just looking down at the puck and trying to get your body to move over there. Apparently that's something that they're all, Kurt Sanford's also working with Matt Murray. That's why people saw him have like the diving glasses or whatever the heck that he had on the other day at practice. Uh, that's, technique that they're trying to work on they're trying to get the lock on the puck here's a statistic for you scott i actually don't know the stat no one's ever mentioned this stat that i've heard talk about this but matt murray is the fourth worst goaltender in terms of save percentage when the game is tied no one's talked about a stat and what the number actually is but when the game is tied mitch or uh, matt murray is the fourth worst goaltender i think per five games played um and the the that transitions into or that means that more goals are getting scored when the game is tied, which obviously affects Toronto because like they always show Austin Matthews on the bench, they always show Mitch Marner. You know what Eli Samsonov's statistic is? His save percentage when the game is tied, uh, like nine forty, uh, pretty much actually nine thirty eight. So ninety three point eight technically percent of the time. Ilya Samsonov is stopping the puck when the game is tied. I'm going to assume Matt Murray's is probably in the 800 somewhere, probably like an 880, 890. Uh, he's a 912 on the season, though, so keep that in mind because that would probably put him in the comeback player of the year conversation, the Bill Masterson or whatever it is, the perseverance award. But he's the fourth worst goaltender. 
So if Toronto carry continues this statistic uh, forward into the playoffs, game seven, we don't want another James Rummer meltdown. We're going to be putting Samson off in the crease because 93.8% of the time he's going to be stopping that puck. I just thought that was a little interesting because, uh, well, an interesting fact is when, when they first got Elias Samson off, they had this guy come on from whatever, Washington or whatever. And he said the biggest uh, the biggest issue with Elias Samson off is that he lets pucks in the, in the last minute play in often because he he's lazy. Like he gives up in the last minute. You know who they're saying about that? You know what they're who what player they're saying that about this year? Uh, uh, Igor Shosturkin, who um, is Samsung's training partner. Well, probably too, yeah. But uh, yeah, so basically, I think it's a little interesting because Samsonov has proven to become the consistent starter, and I think that that constitutes Toronto looking at um, a potential contract extension for him. I don't know if you want to add anything about that or you just want to leave it as yep. uh, basically me running off some numbers uh, and saying that I proved the point. Yeah. I just, based on his play lately, I mean, those statistics make sense because he's made some pretty massive saves in, in tie or close games in the like last two weeks alone, at least. Um, but I just wanted to, just because we're talking about goalies, this has nothing to do with the Leafs. I just wanted to throw this out there. Because I was looking up the standings when you mentioned Washington sucks to see how bad they actually were, and they're a wild card team. But um, if Boston keeps this pace going with the tandem goalies, I don't know if they've 100 percent played 50 50, but they're pretty close. No, not even close. Split. Boston? They played them both, Allmark and Swayman. No, not not even close. I think uh, I think. Um... Ilias, uh, what's his name? Elias Olmark has played like 80% of the game because uh, Swayman was injured. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. I could have sworn TV the other day. I heard, well, I was going to say, because I'm pretty sure on the TV I heard the other day that they were, I mean, it was the Toronto announcer, so take it with uh, a grain of salt here, uh, that Boston was playing their goalies pretty much not 100% 50-50, but like 60-40. And I was going to say... Last year they did. Are you sure? Yeah, last year they played. So this year, last year Walmart they played almost played 100%, 30, like 50-50. Walmart's um, played 30 um, games, Swayman's played 20. Okay, but that's not 50-50 for one. I and said almost 50-50. No, 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 no. <laughs> Anyways... 30 games played, 29 games started, 25 wins, two losses, zero ties, one overtime loss. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, back to my point I was trying to make. Because it's it's pretty much like two thirds to a third, which is most than most, which is like more than most uh, for the level they're playing at. Because Swayman is also 12, three and three in 20 games. But so if they continue this pace. Maybe Allmark takes it over a little bit more. But if they continue it to roughly 60-40 and they continue having these stats, uh, continue having these numbers, are both goalies a candidate for the Vesna? Or would only Allmark be in there? Because they both have above nine save percentage. And 
Allmark has a 182 state or goals against, and uh, Swayman has a 225. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen because people right now are saying Elias Sorokin deserves the Vezina. But the Islanders suck. They're not even a wildcard team. Well, I think that if this keeps up, you could say Swayman, you could say Allmark, uh, like both of them. But I also think that like Samsonov's deserves some love. Not that he's going to win it, but I think that's uh, uh, Linus Allmark obviously deserves to win it. But yeah, it could be one of those situations where like the Greg Jennings is switch uh, split between them. Yeah, I just thought I don't remember ever seeing in recent era. Anyway, I'm pretty sure in the old days, up to like the 70s, there's been goalie tandems that have dominated. I'm pretty sure Toronto had one with Jacques Plante and. Uh, and whoever else, whoever they had. Um, but yeah, I don't remember a goalie tandem being like Boston's only last nine games. I know they're, I don't remember be, a, they're on pace to be the best team ever. I don't remember a tandem being this consistent or this good for, for the whole year. And all signs point to them not slowing down. So I just thought it was interesting. I wonder what changed. Would they both be or would only be? What do you mean? I mean, Boston was good last year, but not the best. Elias Olmark struggled almost his whole career, like to be a constant starter, a consistent starter, and now he's like the best starter in the NHL. The guy's lost, what, five My games? theory on Boston. I, I think, yeah, or four. Is uh six three games? No, I don't know. Anyways, what's your theory? Let me look. Anyway, my, my theory on Boston is that because they were hyped or not hyped, but like projected as not being as good this year because uh, Marshawn was out and McAvoy was out and uh, whoever else was supposed to be out. There was a couple guys that were supposed to be out for like two months or more. Um is that the team didn't take themselves too seriously. So they didn't, not that they didn't try, but like they, they didn't care if they were losing, and then they just started winning games, which then led into Marshawn coming back and, and whoever else coming back, which only added more confidence to them. Because I feel like they, yeah, he's lost three games, two in regulation, one in overtime. Because um, I feel like, at the beginning of the year, when they were hyped as or not hyped, they projected as being like a potentially wild card team because all the big name guys were out. Like that's when I feel like that they, they just sat the players down and said like just go out there and do whatever, like have fun. If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. And then they strung wins together, which then led Marshawn coming back early, and I think who else? Krejci or or Bergeron were out, and then they came back early, and then that I like like I said that that seemed like it only improved their confidence and led into them playing even better. So I feel like it was just a, a fluke thing that happened because they, and, and, and this obviously could be way wrong, but it just seemed like from the, the early part of the year to now, it, their confidence obviously has grown, but it, it just seems like they didn't necessarily know um, what their, their, their record was going to be. They were just going out and winning games because... yeah. Not because they were the better team, but because like they didn't care if they lost or they they 
they just did whatever they needed to do. And then when their best players came back, obviously they, they were already a solid team playing with massive confidence and, and morale. And then obviously adding Pasternak or Marchand and, and all those other guys back to your lineup would only make that increase even more. Yeah, and I also heard that now more NHL teams are trying to do what Boston did, where basically, like, you're not going to give a, 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 an established uh, date of return. So, like, if it's like a knee injury, they could say eight to 10 weeks, but it actually could be six. You know what I mean? They're prolonging the yep. injuries, they're putting it out there. So then people don't ask questions. Um, apparently, that's a take it f- with whatever you want, but apparently, that's what Jeff Merrick heard is a lot of people are. A lot of teams now are trying to adapt that strategy where it's like, you know, a torn, a torn ACL. Oh, he's going to be out three months. Oh, he comes back in two months. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's crazy. But in actuality, it was supposed to be two months. They just told people three months. Yeah. Which is what your your theory was on Boston to begin with, was all these players. Like, your theories never change. It's just the main theory at the beginning on them was – you personally don't think that Brad Marchand and McAvoy were split on as long as they said. And then I made it seem like crazy that they came back early, but that was actually their expected date. They just told media and, and the NHL oh. longer. Yeah. And then, yeah, the the team playing as well as it was added to that too and making them want to come yeah. back earlier. Because especially the Marchand situation where like before the season – like he was supposed to be out with his massive injury, but there was uh, videos of him dancing at a wedding. So it, yeah. it seemed like the team knew that they necessarily weren't going to be that good. So the, the, the players who were out were like, yeah, like just let me sit out until this date or that time or whatever. But then when they started winning and it was becoming clear that their strategy was working, it uh, only made them want to come back even even quicker than what they were supposed to. Because wasn't Marchand supposed to be on until, like, Christmas, but he came back at, like, the end of October? Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he was supposed to be on past American Thanksgiving, yeah. And he came back, like, basically our Thanksgiving, which is a month and a half yeah. away from each other, I think. Um, yeah, roughly. Okay, well, let's just put a wrap on this. There's a couple other details. One, obviously, Bruce uh, Boudreau, not Brudreau, um and the Vancouver Canucks. No, no, I'm copying that girl from Texas. The Vancouver uh, oh, yeah. oh. Canucks. Uh, the Canucks had fired Rick, Bruce Rick Brujo Token. and hired Rick... Uh, you say? Rick Token? Yeah. Um, and a couple a couple of quick things on this. He got fired. They brought in Rick Tukit. Um, funny, Bruce Brujo's first NHL goal was against Jimmy Rutherford. So that's funny. Um Anyways, yeah, I'm glad it's over. I feel bad for the guy, but I'm glad it's over. Uh, since then, today, uh, Vancouver Canucks announced that they had signed Andre Kuzmenko to a two-year, $11 million contract. It had been reported earlier in the week that they had to make a decision. For a year? Kuzmenko. No, 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 like together. Oh. It's like five and a half million each, okay. <laughs> which is still five and a half million is, is absurd for me because it was reported earlier in the week that – Apparently, Vancouver needed to decide between Bo Horvat and 
Kuzmenko to make the final deal because they gave so much money to JT Miller. So you got 5.5 going to Kuzmenko. You got Tyler Myers coming off the books. You can make a trade. You can buy on Connor Garland. You could trade Connor Garland. You could even potentially buy on Oliver Ekman Larson or potentially find a suitor at half the price and bring back Bo Horvat. But you decided to sign Andre Kuzmenko, who could have gotten you players, prospects, and picks at this year's deadline because there was like 13 teams interested in him. And you signed him for $5.5 million. Vancouver, what the hell are you doing? I mean, he's not a bad player yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but your captain is legitimately doing – you're doing to your captain what John Tavares did to the Islanders. You're saying that you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, but you're going to let this man walk. And who's going to be your next captain? TJ – or uh, yeah, TJ Miller? This guy smashes stick over the – pardon me? Oh, you're hypothetical. <laughs> I thought you were actually yeah, asking – like Adam this Miller. guy smashes stick – over the goaltender or the goaltender or the crossbar of his own net to tell his goaltender Chris Delay or whatever his, the heck his name is to get the hell out of the net because they are pulling the goalie. Like you want that guy? You want that guy as your captain? Why are you yelling? <laughs> I'm just pissed. I'm still pissed about the other. I just want to just oh man, just real quick. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I feel like obviously this has been going on for a couple of years and it's not a new thing, but I hate when teams give players a contract based on what they expect them to do as opposed to what they've actually done. Like it was reported there, I don't even remember, I think it was like late last week, maybe on the weekend I saw it, that like Cole Caulfield's next contract could be like $10 million. Like for what? The guy's on pace for 62 points this year. People of all fan bases were in an uproar when Toronto gave Nylander $9 million because he's only a 60-point player. And yeah, may- maybe Caulfield will score more than that. But like at this point, he hasn't. What has he done that made him deserve $10 million other than the potential to score 80, 90 points? Like, if he doesn't score that, then like that just makes you look like an idiot. Yep. Same is Tage Lemieux. He's right now making 1.4. Supposed to be making like $8 million next year, but if he doesn't produce at a 62-point or 65-point clip by the All-Star break, what's he good? What, like, that's going to be a waste of money. Yeah. I, also, I, I like People complain that Tage Austin Lemieux. Matthews... <laughs> People complain that Austin Matthews, who scored 60 goals last year, makes $11 million or $10.5 million, whatever. But then they're perfectly fine with Cole Caulfield scoring or getting $10 million because he has the potential to be a 100-point player. Matthews is a 100-point player. Why are you complaining that I mean, he makes $100 million, but okay that Caulfield makes 10 Did I say $100 million? $11 million. Yeah. But Caulfield makes 10 oh, It just doesn't make um, sense. Also, pay a player in what you expect them to do as opposed to what they've actually done. There is rumors that apparently Toronto is prepared to offer him a hundred million dollars to stay. To imagine, which would mean that at eight years he would be making like fifteen million dollars. It's like thirteen million, yeah. Yeah, twelve and a half. So, um, so the thing, the tricky thing about this is they. Have have to sign him before, so he's due an ex- for an extension January f- or July 1st, 2025. 
July 20, or sorry, 2024, July 1st, 2023, this July 1st, he is eligible to extend that contract at the eight-year clip. If Toronto waits until July 1st at, at 12 o'clock on 20, in 2024, they only, they drop down to seven years, which would put that price at, I think that would make it $15 million. So if Toronto wants to prepare to, is prepared to offer him $100 million to stay in Toronto, that means it needs to be at the eight-year because it'll be too expensive if if they're going to give him twelve and a half million dollars for eight years, for the hundred million dollars, then he's making like eleven now. So even if they went to thirteen, two million dollars is not going to make or break them. It, it might make things hard down the road, but people are saying that like if it's a hundred million dollars, it's a speed spot, and that's not bad compared to sixteen or seventeen million dollars. Also, just want to mention this because it's on right now. There's a Minnesota Philly game on right now, and within seventeen seconds, there's three fights. Fight number one, Delore versus Ryan Reeves. Love both the guys. Wish Toronto would have tried to go after Ryan Reeves for the cheap pick just so I could watch him chuck some knuckles. Uh, two, Wade Allison and Mason Shaw. Wasn't much of a fight, more just two guys whipping each other around. Third, Marcus Felino versus Zach McEwen. Marcus Felino, the Felino brother Toronto should have traded for. Not as Nick Felino, broken back guy, and then randomly just kills it in Boston is like, yeah, let's go beat those Leafs. Buddy, you mean the same Leafs that you cried about when you got traded here? Anyways. We'll move on to the week ahead quick and wrap this up. Yeah, Friday, as mentioned, Ottawa. Sunday, as mentioned, Washington. And Wednesday, February 1st, Boston Bruins. That February, first weekend of February is the All-Star break in Florida. Matthews and Marner are going. And then Toronto's off until like the 10th or something like that or the 11th or like they're they've got like i think what i think it's 11 days off 12 days off so you get a little bit of a break uh we will probably still be back with you to discuss whatever we want to discuss and make sure you just you subscribe to our website and leave some comments hopefully good comments because we got a pretty um uh well i'll just say it. stupid comment uh it's gone there's no need for the comment. Um, and also you learn about styles of governments because you're an idiot for calling us what you call this. I hope you're listening to this because if you are, you're pretty much the scum of the earth. Um, and from that, I will say goodbye. Follow us on social media and go loose, go.